Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. Show. We're in Virginia. We are. Virginia. I like saying it in that ridiculous Virginia. accent. Soft southern accents. Well, I have some facts about Virginia. Wonderful. Tell me. All right. It's illegal to tickle women in Virginia. Thank God someone finally encoded that into law. Can we say women and Eden because I need to not be tickled, <laughs> so I hate it. I fucking hate it, and if anyone tickles me, I will murder you. Yes. Are you, you will like... be on this podcast then because I will have murdered you. <laughs> Are you like that super ticklish where someone like wiggles their fingers at you? I'm not that bad, okay. but I'm very close to that. Um, it's been several times where um, I've been with people in relationships and they've just sort of like put their hands on my side. I'm like, no, stop doing that. Like, you know, because I'm that ticklish. Oh, yeah. I can do like the like fingers in front, wiggle them in front of my wife's face. And she's like, stop, stop it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm way too ticklish for my own good. I hate it. It hurts. I don't care what you say. It hurts. And I used to have nightmares when I was a kid about tickling. Yeah, I did. You should watch the documentary Tickled. Well, your wife <laughs> told me to do that and I plan on doing it. So nightmare fuel i plan on talking to her once we're done with this anyway so excellent because i have a game that she should play since she only likes like boring video games <laughs> platformers not always boring yeah well i have a boring one that i enjoy so <laughs> i'll send it her way uh the first actual thanksgiving happened in virginia wait not in 1621, Pilgrim and Native American alike gathered in Plymouth for what was widely regarded as the first celebration of Thanksgiving. Two years prior, however, on December 4th, nine, uh, yeah, sure, 1619, not 1916, a group of Virginians gathered to eat and pray in Berkeley. Take that, Massachusetts. That's what it says on the thing that I'm reading, not what I said. I mean, shots fired. That's like Massachusetts, like one of its claims to fame are those gosh darn pilgrims. And now that I directly quoted them, I'm going to have to cite it as a source. Westbra.com. Don't mm. sue us. We don't have any money. You're not going to get anything. Like blood from a stone, friends. Yep. When it comes to license plates anyways, Virginia has a higher concentration of customized license plates than any other state in the country. Approximately <laughs> one of every 10 vanity plates comes from Virginia. It seems like Virginians have something special they'd like to tell you, and it probably involves getting off their tail. I wonder what the rules are about Virginia vanity plates because some states are like wacky. Like when you go to like, I think Vermont and New Hampshire, like all bets are off. You can use like special characters, like all kinds of craziness. Well, there was this um, weird one that I saw the one time. It wasn't a vanity plate. It was like an actual um, license plate of someone from New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And it was like WHTB01 with like white boy. Oh, my goodness. And it was a black woman driving it. Oh, my goodness. So even better. Not at all correct. <laughs> I hope she called her car white boy. The internet flows through Nova. 70% of all internet traffic flows through Northern Virginia at some point. See, when I think of Nova, I think of the community college because there was this terrible commercial back in probably the mid, early to mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. for Northern Virginia Community College, where oh. they did not fact-check themselves very well. <laughs> so sorry, Virginia, but there was this commercial with this song, and I might get the melody wrong. I'm sorry, but it was something like, Northern Virginia Community College, you can get the answers, you can get the knowledge. Nova. 
where the N stands for knowledge. <laughs> so no one wanted to go to Northern Virginia Community College because of that. Where the N stands for knowledge. Where the N stands for knowledge, you guys. That sounds like something straight out of like community. Like yeah, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Virginia was at one point divided into shires. Really? Just yes. like England. Before it was into counties, it was segmented into what are known as shires. Yeah, the place that Tolkien's hobbits lived. So the only thing that I can say to that is Louisiana has parishes. That makes sense, though, because they're, like, super Catholic. They are really religious, yeah. So they're very into voodoo. French. <laughs> well, I mean, France used to be divided to parishes until, you know, the revolution. And then That's it all true. became, uh, shoot, not compartments. I don't know what it's called. But, yeah, it's much more secular now. Eight presidents have been born on Virginia soil. Kel Supri. So we have, thanks for being French. Um, <laughs> we have George Washington. I've been to his house. Thomas Jefferson. I've been to his house. James Madison. I believe I've been to his house. James Monroe. Anyone named James. Um, William Harrison. John Tyler. Zachary Taylor. Woodrow Wilson. Hmm. Those are our three. I mean, more than three. Eight. Whatever number I was trying to say. I don't know anymore, guys. I don't know. <laughs> this is the second episode of recording in one day. All bets are off. I may have broken Eden. Virginia has its own Hercules. What? Hercules? Peter Francisco. His name is. He stands at 6'6". Six, six. Uh, he purportedly stole a 1,100-pound cannon from the British, slung it over his shoulders, and carried it back on his side, slaying enemies and saving allies along the way. That sounds like a Revolutionary War fucking Paul Bunyan. Like, That's what the strange. hell? <laughs> so, Virginia has the world's only oyster museum. That's kind of cool. I would be into that. And that is the end of our facts. But I have another thing from Only in Your State, which we'd love to use. I do love Only in Your State. They Thank do a, you, they do Only in Your State, for job. always having good shit. Good for you and your content. Okay, this is a Vandy Plates thing again, so we're going to skip that. This one says, wave to me. L-A-L-W-A-I-V. Number two, me. Uh, Virginia handles 70% of the world's internet traffic. Yeah, that makes which sense. Which we just said before with the thing going through Northern Virginia. More than half of all U.S. residents live within 500 miles of Virginia. All right, that's fair. That makes sense. Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's historic home, like I said, been there, that has nice windows, is the only private home in the United States to be named a United Nations World Heritage Site. Hmm. Interesting. You know, he was kind of a man whore. Uh, yeah. And he was a ginger, too. And a Gemini, so I mean. And a Gemini. Well, that, oh, all the Geminis that I've known have been kind of, you know. They're free spirits. Free with their genitalia, yes. That, too. Virginia was the site of more Civil War battles than any other state, with more than 120 major battles being fought there. That's an average of one major battle every 12 days throughout the war. That's crazy. But makes sense. The Pentagon is the largest office building in the world, which has twice the office space as the Empire State Building. Kind of cool. Construction on the Pentagon began... On September 11th, 1940, ooh, September 11th, 1941, 
exactly 60 years to the day before American Airlines Flight 77 crashed into the building during the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. That's an interesting coincidence. That is kind of crazy. The Pentagon again. Here we go. They really love the Pentagon and only in your state. It has 68,000 miles of internal telephone lines. That's enough phone line to stretch from Florida to Washington State more than 22 times. That's crazy. I did not do that math. That is all only in your state. So good job, guys. You must have Nicole's <laughs> wife working for you because she's good at math. And she makes it sound easy. She taught me math at one point. The first quarter horse, one of the most popular horses in America, was bred in Virginia. Yeah, Virginia's a big horse state, huh? I actually know how big horses' penises are. I forget where I learned it from. Yeah, weird fact. Uh, I don't know what to do with that information. They apparently can grow up to be an average of 14 inches long. Wow, that's a... Hmm. Yeah. So that's a thing that's horses a thing. have. Horses have huge dongs. I mean, yeah, I'm just going to leave that there. Horse dong. <laughs> In 2015, sold 6.5 million bottles of Virginia-made wine. Really? That's a bottle for nearly every person in the state of Massachusetts. I hope the wine's improved since the last time I went wine what tasting. What do they have against Massachusetts? I think it's like the rivalry. Like an old, I feel like it's kind of like an old school rivalry. It's like you have the you know Old Dominion original colony, and then you have like the people that like the state that people think was the original yeah. colony. It's like the Pilgrims versus Jamestown. So, you know, that's the other place I've been. Colonial Williamsburg. Oh, Colonial Williamsburg is the world's largest living history museum. The Louvre in Paris, the world's largest museum, could fit in Colonial Williamsburg 20 times over with room to spare. That's fun. With some of the toughest traffic laws in the nation, Virginia has more traffic lawyers per capita than any other state. That's kind of cool. In fact, we have twice as many as the next closest state, Maryland. Ugh, that makes sense. Maryland drivers are terrible. pretty terrible. The worst that I've ever experienced is Rhode Island. I think I might have said that when we were in Rhode Island, but I'll say it again. <laughs> Rhode Island drivers, you are horrible for such a tiny state. Dear God, you cause a lot of chaos. I mean, I got into a car accident leaving Rhode Island, but... It could just be that we're not from Rhode Island, so maybe we don't know My car wasn't moving. Patterns. Oh, well. Someone backed into my car. <laughs> I don't know. People just kept cutting us off all the time when we were in Rhode Oh, Island. no. I feel like Maryland drivers drive like extremely defensively yeah they do and they like ride their my brakes. sister lives in maryland oh, i my can goodness. attest to that i've never had to like slam my brakes because the person in front of me slammed on their brakes on 95 in maryland oh, when shit. there was no one in front of them yep. they were just going too fast like, maryland was my hmm. first hardy's experience hardy's and i fell in love with their milkshakes because they have really good milkshakes they're hand churned apparently i like their pickles oh, well you know i know how you feel about pickles <laughs> oh yes anyway Lee County is physically closer to eight state capitals other than its own capital in Richmond. Random. Yeah. Virginia Beach is the longest stretch of Pleasure Beach in the world. Pleasure Beach. Can we not say Pleasure Beach ever again in our lifetimes? (laughs) It sounds like there are hookers on that. Well, there probably are hookers on that beach. I've been to Virginia Beach. There are certain areas that I learned that you stay away from. In Virginia Beach? Yes. Mm. That's the end of our list, but I do have a fun Virginia Beach story for you. Tell me. Crossing Virginia Beach Boulevard on foot. Oh, I think I, you mentioned this a time or two. Have I? Yeah. Okay, because it was the worst experience ever. It's like eight fucking lanes of traffic with a medium in between. It's you like that game, that game Frogger, right? Yes, it's Frogger. It is playing real-life <laughs> Frogger, and it is horrible. Oh, my goodness. Well, Virginia, I'm happy we're 
stopping by Eden. Will you regale me with some truly horrific true crime now? I'll regale you all night long, my beautiful, beautiful co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what word is going to come out of your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of anything, so co-host is what came out. Uh, anyway, I've had beer. Just one, but then also a canned wine. So I'm a lightweight these days since I don't drink anymore. Anyway, this week I have a few great stories to choose from. Two of which I was initially trying to decide between. And then when watching Forensic Files before bed, which I talked about on last week's episode, I found a third that made the decision even tougher. But I decided to go with my first story instead, which was also the toughest one to get information on. So let's just, you know, wish me luck here. Challenge yourself. I like it. Yep. Our story this week takes place in Farmville, Virginia. Wait, I played that game. Which is an actual town and not just a game. I wrote that in my notes. (laughs) I swear I'm not making this up, guys. So Farmville is the county seat of Prince Edward County. But it's kind of weird because it, from what I found, it is in two separate counties. Oh, okay. It's also in Cumberland County. So I guess it stretches out weird. Yeah. Okay. It's home to over 8,000 people and seems to be full of natural beauty, as the name would suggest. It is home to the, how did you say you pronounce it? Appomattox. Appomattox River, as well as Highbridge Trail State Park. It has its own college as well, which is called Longwood University, which I believe I've actually heard of before. As the name suggests, it's a big farming town, and although this might not be the case anymore, it's a its major crop was tobacco. That makes sense. A lot of like tobacco is still like a major cash crop in Virginia. Exactly. What I wrote in my notes was which isn't really surprising since I think a lot of tobacco comes from Virginia. Sorry, I feel like I like peeked at your notes. No, it's all right. <laughs> I know you always steal my shit. <laughs> Although this town might appear to be a peaceful one, and most of my sources said it was, it actually has a crime rate higher than 84% of the rest of the state and was home to a grisly murder that took place in the late 2000s. This is the story of the Farmville murders, or as it is also known, the Horror Court murders. Oh. To be honest, I hadn't heard of Farmville before doing my research, and when looking for a story to do, the name popped up, and I said out loud, Seriously? Someone killed someone over Farmville? Get a fucking life. (laughs) Well, I was wrong, and no one that I know of has died over Farmville the game. Okay. So looking at the story wouldn't make much sense without having a little background on one of the most polarizing music genres out there. Horrorcore. Do you know what it is? Um, Only vaguely, but... Well, the best way to describe it to people, because most people, love them or hate them, know this band, Insane Clown Posse. Oh, that is where my brain went, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. If you don't know who they are, they're these very strange guys who dress up in scary clown makeup and rap about murder. Okay. They are probably the only real horrorcore band that I know of. Their fans are called Juggalos. I do know. I do know Juggalos. And I think if I remember correctly, the female fans are called Juggalettes, but I might be making that part up. I like Juggalettes. If I am making it up, then trademark. But uh, if I'm not, then not trademark, I guess. Um, so Insane Clown Posse is seen by their fans as these fun, amusing guys who do a lot of drugs and put on a very theatrical show, which is usually part of the whole horrorcore thing. While the media and other non-fans think of them as anything from just a goofy, dumb gimmick band, 
to outright dangerous people. I don't know if you're going to talk about this later, but aren't the Juggalos like considered like some kind of group that the government watches? I think possibly. I'm not, I don't have that in my notes, but I like almost like a, like a gang. Yeah. A lot of people are worried about them. Interesting. But I didn't put that in my notes, but yes, that's true. So horrorcore is defined by a hardcore rap sound with horror slash murder centric lyrics, which can be anything from true crime or murder to supernatural or slasher elements. A lot of horrorcore rappers will dress up in crazy costumes and are similar to shock rockers in the way like Marilyn Manson or Guar. Yeah, it sounds like Guar, but rap. But just for rap. Yeah, exactly. But it's not all Sunshine and Fago. Because just like everything else in the world, and if you didn't get my joke, look up Fago and look up their connection to Insane Clown Posse. You'll laugh then. <laughs> the media likes to spin... It's so that horrorcore, along with violent TV, movies, and video games, are the reason that people commit crimes. While I disagree strongly with that statement, there have been several cases where horrorcore music has been said to have inspired people to kill, such as Columbine and this case. Oh. Now that you have a little background on the scene that I'm describing, I'll get right down to it. It was a little difficult to piece everything together in a cohesive story this week, but I did my best, so here we go. First, we start with one of our victims, Emma Niederbrock, who was a 16-year-old girl. I was able to find some of her MySpace pictures and stuff, and she was very much a product of that time. Mm. She wore clothes that were probably from Hot Topic. Most of her MySpace pictures were of her smoking pot or flipping off the camera, doing the devil horn thing with her hand. Her hair was streaked with different colors, that sort of thing. So she was kind of like Hot Topic goth. That's fair. Okay. Um... The one thing I was able to find out about her is that she was very into, you guessed it, horrorcore. The great thing about MySpace, for any of the younger listeners who didn't use it, MySpace was the social media place to be in the mid to late 2000s. Facebook was starting to come around, but MySpace reigned supreme and it was really fun. It had a lot to do with music, mm-hmm. which was cool. Lots of music artists got their start there like lily allen yeah i didn't know about lily allen but i'm gonna talk about someone who did uh you could completely customize your page using html which it's actually the only reason panic at the disco also got anywhere was from myspace as well oh cool i didn't know that so yeah they never played a show or anything before becoming famous they just put their music on there and they got discovered but i digress The great thing about MySpace was that it used tags for things like music, movies, books, anything else that you liked, so you could find like-minded people and become friends. Well, Emma Niederbrock did just that and began to form a little love connection with a guy named Richard Samuel Alden McCroskey, or as he's better known, Psycho Sam. And Psycho is spelled S-Y-K-O because reasons, I guess. Because internet. Yes. He was this kid who was a little overweight and had red hair, so he got bullied quite a bit and didn't really have the best life when it came to high school, but that certainly doesn't make up for anything I'm about to tell you in the story. Lots of people have shitty childhoods or high school years and don't murder people. I've had a really shitty high school time. Yeah, that's that's words, high school time, and I did not murder anyone, so just saying. Anyway, he dropped out of his first high school called Tennyson High School in hayward california he then enrolled in hayward high school but dropped out again i'm assuming probably because of bullying yeah which fucking sucks i'll say that right now um 
It shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't happen to anyone. And it sucks. Things got worse when his parents separated, and this was, I believe, shortly before everything went down in Farmville, but we'll get to that. He was an aspiring horrorcore rapper who wrote songs about mental illness, depression, different horrific themes, and of course, murder. I was able to listen to such gems as The Voices and My Dark Side on YouTube, and you can listen to them as well if you want. I'm telling you right now that they're not that great, Um, but I'm just not a horrorcore fan, so maybe you'll find something different about it. As I said before, I don't believe the music you listen to really has much to do with what type of person you are. However, the stuff you write might. In this case, I think it was more of a gimmick, but who knows. In his song, The Voices, some of the lyrics are, The evil voices, they're in my head. They want to see me kill. They want me dead. They just want me to murder continuously. They want me to take lives on a mass murder spree. The other song, My Dark Side, has lyrics like, Blood, death, murder, and rape. I like to mutilate and take him back to my place. Kill and slash, yeah, I'm coming for your ass. And when I got you in this dark path, the last words that you're going to fucking hear, the last words before you disappear. So dark. Yeah, exactly. Now, it could all be bullshit gimmick, like I said. Lots of rappers write about committing crimes they've never done. But it's just eerie to hear those lyrics and know about what happens later. Anyway, these two start talking online and they really hit it off. Oh, and he's 20. He's nearly 21 at this time. And she's 16, remember, but whatevs. They start getting gushy over social media and she writes stuff to him because on MySpace you could leave comments and things. So she would write things like, you are my one and only everything. Things seem to be going well between them, so well, in fact, that they decided to meet. There was this horrorcore festival coming up, and they decided that he would fly out to meet her in Virginia. He was from Castro Valley, California, and they'd go together. At this point, they'd been online dating for about a year, maybe a little more, and had phone conversations pretty much daily. Okay. Now, her parents, Deborah Kelly who was a professor at Longwood University teaching sociology, and Mark Nierbrock, who was a reverend at a Presbyterian church, were, for whatever reason, okay with this and said, of course you can meet a strange juggalo from the internet and he can come stay in our house. (laughs) Maybe they figured, like, you know, if they were there to supervise, it would be okay, or maybe they thought since they'd known each other online for a year, it was better. Maybe they figured that she'd run off with him anyway if they didn't let him come over. I don't know. Maybe a combination of all those things, all those right? Things, cause it's all things that parents worry about, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, her mom was a professor of sociology, and I feel like a lot of people who teach psychology and sociology tend to be like you can't do this to your child because blah 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 yeah so yeah so they're a bit too lenient in my opinion but yeah you know so i know if i had a kid say to me can my 20 year old online boyfriend named psycho sam come and spend the week with me my answer would be an emphatic no but teach their own They tried to be open-minded, and Psycho Sam came to visit them on September 6, 2009. Right from the beginning, things were weird. While Richard was head over heels for Emma, Emma seemed very uninterested in him, 
from the start once they met in person. It seemed like she was distant and she confided in her friend that he didn't seem as cool or tough as he made himself out to be. And it's possible that she wasn't attracted to him in person. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you can hide a lot of things. Like, since I said before he was a little overweight, Mm -hmm. you can hide a lot of things in photos. You can make yourself look thinner in photos. I've done it before. We've (laughs) all done it. Um, So, you never know. So then, four days later, on the 10th, Emma and Richard, a.k.a. Psycho Sam, go with Emma's parents, who are divorced, by the way. So it's cool that they got together to do this. And they went to the Strictly for the Wicked Festival, which is all the way in Michigan, which is about 10 hours away. Okay. So good thing the show wasn't going to be there until the 12th. So they had two days in between. Her parents must really freaking love her to drive that far. They also take along her friend Melanie Wells, who was 18 and lived in Inwood, West Virginia. She was also a friend from online. Okay. So they're just meeting everyone from online at this point Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because safety. When they get to the show, things seem to get worse. Emma and Melanie are kind of avoiding Richard at this point. And it's said that Emma was openly flirting with other guys in front of him. Mm. The day after the show, everyone comes home to Farmville. Richard is still staying there. Melanie is still staying there as well and plans to go home on the 16th. I'll get to what happened in these few days in between in a little bit. But for now, we're skipping ahead to the 17th. So like I just said, Melanie was staying with them and planning to be home on the 16th. She even posted on MySpace for the world to see, so you know it's true. Mm -hmm. It's the next day. She's not home, and her mom begins to worry. Her mom calls Mark, Emma's dad, and this is around 2 or 2.30 in the afternoon. He says, okay, she's not here. She's staying with my ex-wife. I'll go check on them. Well, Melanie's mom waits and waits, but now she can't get a hold of Mark either. She calls the police, and a little before midnight, the police show up to Emma's mom's house, and Richard answers the door because it's totally normal for a stranger in a house to answer the door at midnight. Yeah, totally. So, nothing fishy here at all. The police just ask him where Melanie is, and he says, oh, well, she's out of the movies. The Mm. police can't really do much about this with this information. At midnight. Midnight movie. Okay. Exactly. Well, they do have midnight movies. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Melanie decided to stay on another day and, you know, she and Emma were just out. It's not like they had a search warrant, so they just leave. About an hour later, Richard actually calls the cops himself and asks them to come over to the house again because he hears something in the basement. What the fuck? The police go back over there and they go to the basement and they just find all this like mouse or rat poop everywhere and nothing else. So they chalk it up to just being full of rodents and leave again. Little did they know that around 3 a.m. on September 15th, Richard McCroskey, a.k.a. Psycho Sam, killed Emma, her mom, and Melanie, all while they were asleep in their beds. Mm. He took a wood-splitting maul. Don't ask me where he got it from because I don't know. It probably was in the house. I doubt that he'd be able to get that on an airplane. Mm -hmm. And first bludgeoned Melanie while she was asleep. Then he went and killed Deborah, Emma's mom. And finally did the same to Emma. I don't know why she was last, because I would assume his rage was aimed at her, but maybe he wanted to take care of the others first so he wouldn't be bothered when he killed her? Maybe. Anyway, they remained sleeping the entire time, and the police know this because there weren't any defensive wounds. 
Mm. Mark, Emma's dad, met the same fate when he went over to check on them. So it's been days and Richard, a.k.a. Psycho Sam, has just been chilling in this house with three or four dead bodies, depending on the day, like nothing happened. The smell must have been fucking incredible. Yeah. Anyway, now that you know what's been going on and are sufficiently creeped out about how apt the name Psycho Sam is, let's get back to the 18th. He had just called the police around 1 a.m. And then he has another run-in with the police at around 20 after 4 in the morning when he gets his, well, not his, but Mark's car stuck in a ditch and he's ticketed for driving without a license. The car gets towed to sheets. That's all I know about that. Okay. But I'm sure you have better questions for me than what happened to the car. So anyway, he then goes to get breakfast and his server says to him, why do you look so tired? Are you okay? He responds by saying, I've been awake for days. Mm. Creepy. You've been awake with the dead bodies in the freaking house. For days. For days. Mm Mm-mm. He has yet another run-in with police when he takes a taxi to the airport to try to get away. What? Oh, my God. You might be saying, this has got to be when he's arrested, right? Wrong. His cab driver gets pulled over for speeding. Nothing else. The cab driver was interviewed after all this came to the light, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, he seemed normal, but there was this weird odor. Oh, my God. That's the power of dead people, baby. Ugh. Pine saw lady voice. So, the police get another call from Melanie's mom because she still hasn't heard from her, obviously. So, they go back to the house and no one is there. But one of the officers can smell something and it's like, "Mm, that's a dead body. Oh, my God. So, probable cause and all, they go into the house and find the three dead bodies. And the place would later be described as a quote-unquote slaughterhouse. Oh. Although the previous three victims had been killed in their beds, obviously. Mark had been killed while fully awake, again, obviously, and he had also been killed with the same weapon. He fought back, and the floor under his body was all scratched up and soaked through in blood when they found it. They come back a little later with a warrant, and that's when they find Mark's body. At this point, they're smart enough to say, well, it must have been that guy that let us in earlier. Let's go find him. Meanwhile, he's at the Richmond airport. He had tried to get an earlier flight to get the hell out of there because I'm sure he realized by now that it was only a matter of time before he'd get caught. However, there was a $150 fee to rebook the flight, so he was SOL on that. (sighs) The police end up finding him asleep in the baggage claim area, and they were able to arrest him without incident there. He's charged with first-degree murder for killing Emma, Emma's parents, and Melanie, Robbery because he took money from Mark's wallet, which just sounds a little ridiculous at this point Mm -hmm. to really be worrying about that. And a grand larceny because he stole Mark's car. He was later charged with six counts of capital murder. The extra two being because the crimes are so brutal. I didn't know they could do that. And it just seemed a little weird to me, but that's what happened. Hmm. From what they were able to eventually gather, since he wasn't initially very cooperative or forthcoming, he snapped and murdered everyone because of possibly some texts that Emma had sent during the music festival. I don't know what the texts were, but apparently once she met him in person, hung out with him for a little bit, she just wasn't in him anymore and she rejected him. Mm. It's also a rumor, but that's and that's probably all it is. 
but some of the other concert goers said Emma slept with one of the horrorcore performers at an after party that night at the show. Seems a little far-fetched. Yeah, I think so, too. Nearly a year later, he pled guilty as a result of a plea deal for the four murders. He was up for the death penalty, but got life in prison instead because of said deal, which the remaining family members agreed with. Other rumors were that there are unreleased videos of Richard doing God only knows what with the dead bodies. Gross. Yeah. So again, might be just rumor, might be fact, who knows. Fun fact, however, the county jail didn't know if they had a cell secure enough to house a killer, apparently. Oh. They actually had a new cell brought in just for him, which they put in the front of the jail where everyone could see, like visitors, everyone. Weird. He was also on suicide watch at this point, which, you know, yeah, sounds about right. It's weird because I found a lot of conflicting information on this town and its crime rate. According to the statistics on NeighborhoodScout.com, it has a high crime rate. But for all of my other sources, they just called it a quiet, sleepy little town. The only thing I can think of is that the crime rate jumped because of the murders, which can happen. So that just might be the case. Yeah. Like statistically. Yeah, Mm. exactly. I don't know if there's the possibility of parole, but he is still in jail today. Oddly enough, according to everyone that knew Richard McCroskey, AKA psycho Sam, they all said that he was a good quiet kid. So who knows if he just snapped due to rejection or what, but that is the end of the story and we'll never actually know exactly what was going through his head. I tried to find interviews with him, but I couldn't find any. This is the kind of weird one again, because obviously I feel bad for the victims because, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't deserve to be murdered, but I also kind of feel a little bad for psycho Sam as well. Uh, He should have never committed murder, but at the same time, it must have been a nightmare being that far from home, finally meeting someone that you knew from the other side of a computer monitor and having them not like you anymore and just then be stuck there for however long. It's no excuse, but damn, that sucks. Yeah, but still. Still, of course, no, you shouldn't murder. Yeah. What do you think? Ah, it's a really depressing tale. And it's interesting because I definitely have friends who has had like you know online friends through like music and chat rooms and like my space and they have really positive really good experiences and i think on average you know the internet's a wonderful way to connect with people but there can be a definite dark side yeah as well. there absolutely can be and it's just interesting to me because it's i think a lot of it is so there's so many unknowns right yeah. we don't actually know why he snapped and like murdered emma and her family and her, and, and her friend melly it's it's it seems like either he already had this you know dark side and he you know was already yeah. on on the edge and no one really knew or you know it's one of those things where you wonder like what did she say what even yeah, and that's, what that's, exactly that's, happened and it's not not saying that it's her fault or anything no, but it's, it's like she's 16 it's like you know when you're 16 mm-hmm. you're just like not into somebody and you're like well i just don't like you like that and now you're in this awkward situation yep. with everyone involved uh, just yeah. all around it sucks yeah he should have never have killed them of course but i i'm pretty sure he knows that too yeah but it just it sucks all around and i mean it's kind of weird because you're thinking from what was the information that was gathered is that she didn't really like him anymore because he wasn't as tough as he seemed online. Yeah. It makes it like, well, now you actually got what you wanted. Yeah, this like hardcore guy dude. who 
kills people. Yeah. It just happened to be you. Yeah. So that really is kind of like the icing on the cake there in this story. It's just very horrible. Yeah. All around. Well, I'm depressed now. Thanks, Eden. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I love making people depressed. It's my my <sighs> one joy in life. Don't take it away from me, please. <laughs> my sources for this week were Wikipedia, YouTube, MySpace, NeighborhoodScout.com, a bunch of different articles from Richmond.com, which is the Richmond Times Dispatch website, SFGate.com, NBCBayArea.com, and Ranker.com. Hmm. <sighs> Sorry, I'm just so sad now. I know. <laughs> Everything sucks because it, it, I, it's just like, of course, being murdered is terrible. So you have that. She shouldn't have died. Her friend shouldn't have died. Her family shouldn't have died. Everything's so bleak now. But then for him to come there and then to her be like, no, I don't want to be anywhere near you. You can see where he would be really upset by that. I mean, I wouldn't have killed anyone over that. But still, he probably had mental issues already. Yeah. So I feel that that kind of like exacerbated everything and mm-hmm. really pushed him brought everything edge. to the head. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, we need a break now. Yeah, we'll take a short break because Lord knows we need it. And when we come back, I will get into my paranormal story. Sounds good to me. Which I hope you like. I want to be creeped out about something that isn't murder. All right. Sounds good. All right. We'll see you in a few. And we are back. We're back. I feel a little better. A little bit. Went outside, saw the sun. Kind of. Kind of. It's 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 there somewhere behind the clouds. Yeah. We looked out at all the people that aren't walking on the street, so that was nice. Looking into houses. No, just kidding. (laughs) All right. So our stop today is in Spotsylvania, Virginia, which is... I love that name. Yeah. It's it's very confusing for me to type. I've always loved the name Spotsylvania, and I don't know why. Spotsylvania. So we're stopping in Spotsylvania, Virginia. It's a county of about 135,000 people. That's located on Interstate 95, about halfway between Washington, D.C. and Richmond, Virginia. I feel like 95 stretches out forever. It does. It runs all the way from like Maine to Florida. Because of this prime location along 95, Spotsylvania is one of the fastest growing areas of Virginia. All right. Do tell. Now, the name Spotsylvania may sound familiar to you, Roasters, because it was the scene of several major Civil War battles. Yep. Uh, So there was the Battle of Chancellorsville, which is where General Stonewall Jackson was killed, Mm -hmm. Uh, the Battle of the Wilderness, the Battle of Fredericksburg, of course, and the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse. You can visit these battlefield sites today, but if you're like me and Civil War battlefields are not your thing, you can enjoy boating, fishing, and hiking at Lake Anna State Park. Visit the Spotsylvania's Farmer's Market, which is apparently a very large farmer's market in the county. Or explore the finest wines Virginia has to offer on the Spotsylvania Wine Trail. But we won't be stopping at any of these locations today. We're heading to the Lake Acres Estate neighborhood near the historic Spotsylvania Courthouse area of Spotsylvania County. Okay. Now, the neighborhood was established in 1972 and consists of about 120 or so large single-family homes. In the summer of 1986, Richard and Sheila Jean Colosimo, along with their 11-year-old daughter, Cassie, moved into a six-bedroom house in the Lake Acres estate neighborhood. I forgot that people weren't going to be murdered, so I was just like, why are you sounding so cheery right now? But 
people aren't good. Well, people still might be murdered, but you know. Yeah, it's a little bit more upbeat, even though it's like a haunting story. Yeah, it's like they're all savagely beaten to death in their homes. <laughs> haunted it forevermore. No. Uh, everything seemed pretty normal when the Colosimos moved into their new home. Well, everything except the draft in Cassie's bedroom. Okay, so that draft might not be a draft. Gotcha. Indeed, indeed. Now, Richard checked the window seals and the heating in his daughter's bedroom, but the room always seemed colder than the rest of the house. Uh, by the time summer turned to autumn, the Colosimos had made friends in the neighborhood. One October afternoon, a neighbor named Sherry Chewing was visiting the Colosimo home. Uh, during the tour of the house, Sherry commented on how cold it was in one of the bedrooms. And Sheila Jean told her that it had always been chilling in that room, even on the hottest days of the summer. Uh, with winter coming and no solution to the draftiness in the room, she actually had moved her daughter to another bedroom down the hall. I mean, it must have been nice in summer, though, being just like, yeah. I am dying. No, we can't afford air conditioning. Just go up to the room <laughs> that's always cold. <laughs> Fair. But I guess it was like uncomfortably cold. Yeah. Where it's like, it feels like it's 40 degrees well, in here. Well, then you're okay in there for a few like minutes. Yeah, it's like the cool down room. It's like the meat locker or something. Yeah. So... After a moment and hearing how this room is always cold, uh, Sherry suggests that the house could be haunted. I don't know why she just re- immediately jumped there, but that's what she said to oh, Sheila right. Jean. She's like, you know what? Your house is probably haunted. That's cold all the time, which I guess is the neighborly thing to suggest. Sure. Now, this idea did not sit well with Sheila Jean. Uh, her and her husband were devout Catholics. And um, according to some of the articles I read, she was not really into supernatural things she kind of thought it was all mumbo jumbo but see i don't understand that uh and as far as both ways go honestly if it's like so you can believe in some like you know phantom person giving you rules in the sky but you can't believe in ghosts you can believe that a man came back from the dead mm-hmm. and then was assumed into heaven yeah but ghosts are just like a step They're too far step yeah. too far for you but then the opposite works too it's like i believe in ghosts but i don't believe in god well what's really so far-fetched about god then if yeah. you believe in ghosts yeah so you oh know. people who are contradictions yes exactly bless their hearts so uh cherry suggests again being a great neighbor suggests that they just say some prayers in the room you know just in case like a good neighbor sherry is there, there. Sheila Jean's like, okay, that sounds like a great idea. Let me grab my rosary. So she brings it back up to the bedroom. And as Sheila Jean's praying, Sherry starts walking around the room, repeating the words, leave this room. Leave this room. I command you. I am, you are Columbus and I am America. Discover Discover me, me. Ramon, discover me. (laughs) So finally, after the prayers and Sherry walking around like a good neighbor, repeating the words, leave this room. The room finally begins to warm up again. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So she tells them like it is. Yep. Yep. Sheila Jean hangs the rosary on the wall after she finishes her decket, I guess. I don't know. Who knows how much she prayed, but you know, we'll say decket. Worse me. The women return downstairs to check on their kids playing outside. Okay. The kids tell their mothers that they saw something big, red, and terrifying peering at them from the window in the bedroom that they had just left. Elmo staring. Elmo staring for your soul. <laughs> so concerned because they were just in that room and there was nothing up there. Sherry and Sheila Jean go back upstairs to investigate, but they discover that the bedroom door is now locked. Okay. From the inside. Wait, no one's in the room, right? Nope, no one's in the room. Okay, good. The lock's on the inside, but it's locked. Which is like, God damn it, you kicked me out of the room before. I'm just, just leave me alone. I'm locking this door. 
<laughs> so eventually the women um, end up forcing the lock on the door open and like walk into the room. It's ice cold. And they notice that the rosary that Sheila Jean had hung on the wall is now across the room and it's embedded by the cross in the wall. So it basically got flung across the room and so hard that it like stuck into the drywall. Sheila Jean is not my exorcist. She's just a girl who says for me to get out. But I lock the door instead. I lock it tight. <laughs> okay, we'll stop. Sorry. Thanks for <laughs> indulging us. <laughs> so needs to say this freaks both the women out and... Again, they're like, we got to do something. And Sherry, being the best neighbor ever, apparently, suggests that they go to St. Mary's Church in Fredericksburg to consult the parish priest. So they go there and the priest tells them, you know, hey, here's some holy water. Why don't you take just it home? Just work it out yourself. <laughs> yeah, just t- take it home. It's, to- it's in a to-go bottle already. <laughs> I don't want to deal with this. Just take some holy water. Take it all. He's like, okay, ladies. He gives them holy water and he says, hey, go sprinkle it through the house, but especially, you know, sprinkle it in that bedroom and all shall be well. So Sheila Jean returns home and she follows the priest's instructions. However, after she sprinkles a good amount of holy water in the bedroom, it only makes things worse. Yeah, a lot of times it just ends up pissing things off. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, these are all the wrong things to do. Yeah. <laughs> so Thanks, priests. So over the next few days, the Colosimos were awakened every night by loud noises and banging coming from the bedroom. Each night they'd get up to investigate and they would find the bedroom door again mysteriously locked from the inside. They'd jimmy open the lock and find the room in shambles. Um, objects that were placed on shelves, uh, furniture was moved, things were strewn all over the floor. And this Great. happened repeatedly for like a week. Okay. Then the situation escalates again. Now at night when the close symbols would be awoken, they'd enter into the room after jimmying open the lock and they would see very intense manifestations. Uh, some of the things that happened to them include books flying off the shelves at them. Uh, at least on two occasions, the closet door flew off the hinges so hard oh, shit. that the pins that keep the hinges attached were driven into the wall like nails. It could just be that the ghost was gay and was just like, I'm not hiding it anymore. I'm coming out of this closet. I'm coming out. Coming. Uh, there would be handprints without fingerprints and Ew. smudges all over the walls and window panes. That's kind of gross. Yeah, I don't like super it. creepy. So they're kind of like, I would like to get a good night's sleep. Plus, this is fucking scary. Yeah. What are we going to do? Don't talk to the priest again. (laughs) Well, that's actually what Richard and Sheila Jean did. (laughs) Because they did such a great job the first time. But this time they went to St. Patrick's Catholic Church, which is a little bit close to them. I think that was their home parish. So you got to go to the Irish. They don't don't mess around. They will whack that bitch up the side of the head (laughs) with a shillelagh and everything will be fine. So the parish priest from St. Patrick's brings a shillelagh out of the house and, <laughs> and he proceeds to walk through the whole house and bless it, which is like something I know I've, I don't think I've ever had it done, but I know it's something that happens when like, like Catholics will move into a new house. Mm-hmm. They'll have the priest come out and bless it. And that's basically what he did. Well, like I said, you called it drive by priestings yes, uh, when I priestings. talked to you about it before, but yeah, like priests <laughs> will come up to your house and just be like, would you like your house blessed? And mm-hmm. they sprinkle holy water in four corners of the house and walk away. Yep. And that, that's basically what he did. But surprise, surprise, it did nothing to help. Yeah. Like I said, don't go to the priests. The manifestations continued daily. Uh, they're still not getting good sleep. 
Uh, they wake up every night to the room in shambles. And now when they go into the room, of course, it's ice, ice cold. And they have to clean it up every night. Now you got vanilla ice stuck in my head. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I hear banging. I think it's someone doing some kind of urban lock, pop and lock. I don't know. <laughs> so... Uh, at this point, Richard's like, I don't even know what's happening. And he decides to bring a camera into the room. And he does like the typical ghost photography thing where he starts taking pictures um, when they wake up in the middle of the night. And he ends up capturing a blurry picture of what looks like a human shape in the bedroom, even Ew. though the bedroom's visibly empty on the film. Okay, no. Mm-mm. So it sounds like what all the stuff that they're doing is only making this entity grow stronger. Of course. Now... Rumors about the picture and the strange activity in the Colosimo's house starts to spread through the neighborhood. Thanks, Sherry. Because you know she told people. Damn, Sherry was running her mouth. <laughs> now, the neighbors are also kind of weirdly freaked out by this. And they start spreading salt around their houses. Like, they're around their doors and windows to keep this evil spirits out. And there are a couple of rumors that go around the neighborhood talking about how the Colosomos are trying to get a priest to come in and do an exorcism in their house, but none of the local Catholic priests want to do this. Uh, so this kind of leaves the Colosomos in a bind. They're, they kind of, they, they poo-pooed in some of the articles that they went to anybody for an exorcist. They said that was just a rumor, but I don't know. They probably still did. I tried to look for that picture that you're talking about online. It's not there. And it's not there. I just kept finding pictures of dead bodies, but it was because of the mob. Yeah, because there's also the mob, the Colosimo mob family. Yeah, so <laughs> It did make research, and it's a little challenging. Thanks, Italy. Thanks. So not sure what to do next. Richard and Sheila Jean are basically just hunkered down living in fear in their home. So when one of their friends suggests that they contact a woman who's a psychic advisor and paranormal expert, they agree. Now, this expert was a self-identified clairvoyant and witch, and she agrees to visit the Colosimo home. When she arrived at the home, the expert immediately starts to sense this overwhelming energy that kind of draws her upstairs to the bedroom where all of these manifestations are taking place. She goes into the room, and it's, again, ice cold, and she sees a spirit there. Um, she says the spirit is of a teenage boy around the age of 16, 17. He's blonde and he's wearing a Confederate army uniform. He's badly wounded. He leans on a roughly made crutch and his arm and legs were bandaged. Okay. So uh, he's been in the war. Mm-hmm. The expert said. I said teenage boy. I'm like, now it makes sense why they locked their room. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Not coming out. I just wanted to masturbate in peace. Damn it. <laughs> It's bad enough my right arm's all messed up. (laughs) It's terrible. But anyway, uh, the expert uh, said, quote, he's very confused, scared, and he needs some help. So what does she do? She pulls out a Ouija board. Because that's going to help. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's how she does it. That and there's also an article like one of the articles is like she was also an avid tarot card reader. I'm like, oh, okay. Because that's going to help with ghosts. Okay. I don't know. Gotcha. So she pulls out a Ouija board and she I'm starts. Also, an avid tarot card reader, and let me tell you, it doesn't help with ghosts. <laughs> I also own a Ouija board, and it doesn't help with ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it worse. Using a Ouija board, she conversed with the spirit, and during this conversation, she learned that he had died nearby and thought that the Civil War is still going on. Oh, okay. That he was... makes sense. Yeah, and he was actually hiding in the closet because he was convinced that Civil War. Union soldiers were tracking him down, oh. which is why he would like kind of fling it open 
so violently because he was trying to run and escape. Okay. Now, the Colosimos were in the room while she was using the Ouija board to have this conversation. And they said that uh, the board was on the floor and the expert were just, was just sitting next to it. And that the planchette on the board was moving on its own the whole time. So not even hands on the planchette. Not even hands on the planchette. It was moving on its own, according to them. Interesting. Okay. They also said that they felt so much static electricity in the air that their scalp started to tingle and their ha- the hair, arms and their hair. That hair sounds legitimate. Arms. Yeah. Because um, for me, whenever I'm communicating with whatever, um, you do feel a thickness in the air. You feel very much like electricity surrounding you. That is a, a very normal thing. Now, the psychic slash paranormal expert slash witch has this conversation and during the course of it, she tries to soothe the spirit. She tells him that he's safe from the Union soldiers, that the war ended long ago. Uh, She later said, quote, I told him to go into the light. The light was beautiful. It's where his friends were. It's where he should be. According to her, the spirit had become quote, frightened and confused by the rosary, the holy water, and the commands to leave the house. And that's why the poltergeist activity escalated. Uh, okay, you go, Zelda Rubenstein. <laughs> Caroline. <laughs> um, so after the expert leaves, after soothing the spirit and telling him to go into the light, uh, the manifestations stop. However, the fearful situation for the Colosimos continues. Uh, a local paper had published an article about their experience, and this led to the family receiving harassing phone calls. Their house was vandalized. Are you serious? Yep. People are dicks. And well, there was a bunch of uh, letters to the editor to the local paper that were like, "This is all bullshit. These people are doing it for their att- for attention," uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and basically called out the reporter who wrote the article, saying that he got duped. Okay. Now, eventually, this notoriety started to fade. And the Colosimos were never, I couldn't find anything that said the Colosimos were ever bothered by this apparition ever again. That's good. Um, Now, this is the part where in my research, after I'd done all of this writing, I got to two interesting articles. Okay. One of them was a very interesting. Love when that happened. Yeah. One was a very interesting like observational article about this particular incident and kind of went through each of the points of the haunting and talked about other poltergeist like hauntings and pointed out that there are some unusual things that happened. For example, most of this took place in the it took place, the haunting and a lot of the activity over the course of like two months. Okay. And then it just stopped. Yeah. Um, they said that, you know, the methods that the psychic used were kind of unusual, that that's not really what a, you know, professional witch or a psychic would with really use. Board, yeah. With the Ouija board that, that that's not really what they would do. Like they may contact the spirit and try to soothe it, but her methods seemed a little off. Aww, yeah. And that a lot of the descriptions that the Colosimos gave of, of things they experienced came right out of some popular Hollywood movies. Okay. Yeah. I could see those things being factual. And the, uh, the author of the article even went so far as to talk to a uh, professor. Uh, I forget exactly what his, uh, I think it was like folklore and sociology. Okay. And the professor pointed out that the manifestations in this case were extreme. Like usually when you have a poltergeist, it's not, it's like a couple of things. Yeah. Like it's, you know, people being touched, uh, objects being thrown, doors being slammed. It's not. Doors popping off the hinges. Or like mysterious hand prints appearing. It's not all of them at once. 
And usually it's not just isolated to a single room in the house. That's true. Yeah. If it's something so strong, it would be spread throughout the house. There could be more activity in one room than the rest of the house, but it's normally in the entire area and not just right there. Yeah. So I was like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Then I found a second article that I went, huh. And this article I found was from the Fredericksburg Freelance Star, which also published the original story back in 86 about the haunting so they could just be trying to like save face but possibly but let's hear it this was also about a richard and sheila jean colosimo and it i couldn't tell if it was exactly the same people but i strongly suspect it is because they're also are from the same area and it said in the article that it was about um how sheila and richard had started their own ministry uh, I think it's called like abandoned sheet ministries and it was a food pantry and a ministry okay. that they ran in Spotsylvania County. And the article went on to explain that the reason they had, they devoted themselves to making sure that people who are down on their luck and food insecure have something to eat is because that happened to them. Okay. And the article basically said that in the late 1980s, the IRS seized their Lake, Ac- their Lake acres estates home due to underpaid taxes underpaid taxes yep so basically right after this whole haunting thing they lost the house okay <laughs> uh richard eventually lost his job i believe it said he was like a like a worked at a car dealership okay and the family found really rough times they ended up like living out of a hotel they only survived because they got help from the local uh food bank in fredericksburg eventually they got back on their feet and they decided to pay it forward by helping other people get back on their feet and they started this ministry that's cool yeah, so I was kind of like, wow, those are really distinct names Yeah. in the same area, uh, and they also lived in the same neighborhood, so there was no mention of this haunting, so I was very um, concerned about the authenticity, I guess, of the story. Of the story, yeah. So I, I don't know really what to make of it one way or another. Um, what do you think? Um, well... I think the things that were called in question in that first little article that you read after mm-hmm. um, are kind of valid. The psychic that came in to help them, like I said before, I'm like, yeah, because Ouija boards haven't ever made anything else worse. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like a very oddball approach of doing it, but everyone has their own way of doing things. So it could still be something. Um, the story of a Civil War ghost is something that, you know, in Virginia is very prominent. So, I mean, could just be picking the most, you know, normal thing in Mm -hmm. the supernatural world based on where they live. Because Virginia is a hot spot for Civil War ghosts. Um, As far as the haunting being in the one room, like I said before, it normally doesn't just take place in one room. It's normally throughout the rest of the house with one room being the main focus, but still things happening in other rooms. Yeah. So it's very strange that we just attach itself there. But the story the psychic gave sounds legit with it hiding in the closet. But I mean, I don't know that that's even a thing. I don't know. I've never experienced something like that, Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that it can't be true as well. Yeah. I don't know what to make of it. It could be real. It could be not. Yeah, it's, I don't know what to make of it either. It seems very. The door busting off the hinges is the biggest thing to give me pause just because it's so, well, to quote the exorcist, that would be far great too. Um, what was it? Um, a vulgar display of power. Yeah, like, Vulg- A vulgar display of power. Yeah. So it's just like, it's kind of weird, you know? Yeah, I agree. So I don't really know what to make of it. It seems, I, I yeah, I don't know. Roadsters, you let me know what, what you think. 
Yeah, weigh in if you want to weigh in on our email or on Facebook, Twitter. Um, what else do we have? Can we do that sort of thing on Instagram? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how Instagram works. So, um, so yeah, all that stuff. Definitely contact us about it. Let us know what you think. We would love to get your opinions. We'd love to hear from you. Hear your beautiful voices since you don't like to talk to us much. And we're very sad about it. So yeah. make us happy for a change, damn it. Make us happy. And plus, you're probably going stir crazy not being able to talk to anyone with this, you know, lockdown business. We're here for you. We are here for you. If you need a therapist, we are here. This is for entertainment purposes only. (laughs) (laughs) Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. All right. I guess that's, did you cite your sources? Oh, no, my sources. Ah, yes, my sources. I used uh, a couple different sources. I used onlyinyourstate.com, 13thfloor.com. Of course, a couple articles from the Fredericksburg Freelance Star. And I think that's it. Oh, and darn it, I just lost it. Let me let me grab it real quick. Because it was the great article that uh, reminded me about this. Like the one that called in the questions. Yeah. Uh, the Ghosts of Fredericksburg and Nearby Environs by L.B. Taylor Jr. Okay. Good article. Yeah, I'll have to look into it like, and see for myself like what I think, like if I look through all the facts, but... Yeah, it's weird because when you type in like uh, poltergeist hauntings in the U.S., like that's one of the big ones that comes up. Okay. See, but there's not a whole lot out there about it, which I makes me... Hmm. love haunted house stories. Mm-hmm. I love them to death. So, I mean, if we can find more of these, that's great. And as soon as they said that, then I heard a weird noise in my house. That was fun. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I didn't mean that I wanted my house to be haunted, ghosts who are listening. Um. Yeah. All right, I guess, uh, like we said... If you want to reach out to us because you're bored, please do. And you can email us at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. You can post on our Facebook, Instagram, or send us private messages. Uh, we are Roadside Horror Show. Or you can follow us and tweet at us on Twitter. We are Roadside Horror. We would also like to thank, as always, E. Massey for our intro and outro music and also Yox Rocks Designs for our logo. Uh, Until next time, Roasters. Creep on, creeping on. on.